tear off. Um, so you, uh, do you, do you film for other people besides, besides yourself or do you just host your own show? It's, it's my own, own show. I don't, I don't video for anyone else. It's, um, I do the Cali Chronicles, which is new this past year. And then I do Call of All Turkeys, which is technically I've been doing it for over 10 years now, but it used to be called Turkey Hunt Public Land. I just basically hunted public land and mm-hmm. it was very crude editing, very crude videography. Or, I mean, it was, it was nothing to be proud of. <laughs> um, I eventually changed the name because it, as it grew, I started hunting some private. I would private, go, right. I would film other people that was the main thing i was getting out there to stay in order to stay out in the woods more longer in the spring because when i moved from south carolina up here you know seasons down there were 30 days you could kill five birds you get up here you could hunt five days and get one bird and i'm like that's not enough hunting time turkey time for me right right i was looking for people to film and i was like i don't even need to call or anything i just want to be out there and Mm -hmm. i'll film you hunt if you'd like for me to call i can so i started doing that and uh and as I hunted with more and more people, they're like, well, we don't need to go to public. I have private land we can hunt on. I was like, okay. And so I didn't want to just deceive the public. So I changed the right. name to calling all turkeys. By then I was doing competition calling. So that was a big aspect of my turkey hunting. I was calling in competitions. Plus, you know, it goes back to turkey hunting is a lot, a big part of its calling. So yep. the yep. name changed back in 2009. So that's been no, not 2009. Sorry. That's when that's when I officially started my turkey uh, video show. It was gotcha. turkey. Gotcha. Anyway, I'll get off track. But I think it's about <laughs> five years, five or six years ago, it became calling all turkeys. I'd have to look it up, see exactly when I registered the name. But yeah, well, that's that's cool. This year was actually my first year uh, hunting uh, turkeys on public land. I've hunted deer on public uh, a few times. Um, but I, I went down to Southern, Southern central Kansas down, down towards Wichita and, um, hunted with a buddy of mine for Rios and we hunted private on his farm. He probably had, uh, I don't know, a, a couple hundred acres and we'd run around on that in the morning and then, uh, then we'd go run around on a couple of these public land patches throughout the day. So, uh, it was a good that time, was, but I've, I've, I've never, Kansas. Uh, yeah, South Central Kansas. Um, uh, and it's, I mean, there's down where we were, there was public land patches all over the place, but like where I live in Kansas city there, like if I want to drive to a public land, like spot where I can hunt, it's 30 minutes to one, like 70 acre patch. And then, then it's like another, like 25 minutes past that for another like 200 acre patch. So if you're like in the city there, it's just crazy, crazy, uh, difficult to get in the land where you're not just like walking on top of guys. So, yeah. but I've been, I've been lucky enough to have, uh, my farm in central Missouri. And then, uh, another, it's actually my dad's insurance broker lets us hunt his farm, uh, down there in can in South of Kansas city. And, uh, and they're, they're good farms. We've, we've taken birds, uh, every year, uh, except this year this was actually my dad didn't get to turkey hunt this year because he had a a shoulder surgery but it was one of the most difficult turkey hunting years i've ever had i hunted at probably (sighs) close to 10 days i spent like full like full like from 
you know, daybreak Dawn until and yeah. Well, so in Missouri, uh, we close at one o'clock. Uh, that's when season ends, which is really annoying. Uh, but uh, uh, and, you know, it's, it's what we've got. And uh, I I never saw a legal bird. I saw a couple of hens, and I think I saw a Jake one time. The legal the legal shooting ends at one each day. Mm-hmm. Does that last the entire season or just the yep. first two weeks? Okay. Whole, now, whole season. Now, do you stay out in the afternoons and scout and roost birds and do all that? Uh, I'll, I'll try and roost them sometimes if I, if I'm on, uh, if I'm on my farm. Um, uh, I don't, I, I don't, I didn't really try and roost birds uh, down at, down at uh, the guy's farm that we hunt with, uh, um, down towards our house. Um, no particular reason, I guess. I just, it just never fell right to where I could, I could go and roost them, but I, maybe that would have been the best plan because yeah. every morning, every morning I'd come in and I'd be like, okay, like, like this is where I heard them yesterday morning. So I'm going to set up in this general area and then they're like nowhere near yeah. it at all. So yeah, if you could roost them, that puts you in the driver's seat for the next morning. I mean, you can get right in there tight on them and yeah, easier yep. said than done though. Yeah. I've I, I, probably, I'd say the majority of the birds I killed have, have been uh, between you know seven and eight when they pitch down, uh, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll you know get in early, set up decoys a hundred yards in front of them, fifty yards in front of them. Uh, they'll pitch down right into the decoys, and uh, and my dad actually made. I still need to. Uh, uh, we need to like bring it to production, but he made a uh, what he he calls it the flapper, where he will do like a, a a fly down calc with it, and just you know yeah. And, uh, man, I tell you what, we've gotten birds down off the roost. I mean, like we'll hit it with that fly down calc and like, a, like 15 seconds later, they'll fly down right with it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, no luck this season. Are it you, was rough. Are you bow hunting or shotgun hunting? I'm a, I'm a bow hunter. Uh, um, a tra- I've the ma- overwhelming majority of the turkeys I've, I've shot have come from shotguns. Uh, but, but now I'm, I'm exclusively bow hunting, but, uh, Glad or, or, or um, yeah, both uh i i prefer if i can i prefer hunting with a blind but this year i kind of with a like a slight running gun i had like a little like throw down like stake blind where it'd mm-hmm. be like three three stakes uh, or four stakes to try and like build like a little half circle around me gotcha. uh, but uh it was fun is it this is the first season i've ever done like a running gun since bow hunting uh instead of like this is where my blind is and it's where i'm gonna go every morning yeah that's uh, I, t- I tell a lot of people, you know, you have that one side that thinks blinds are cheating because it takes away the vision of the turkey. But I tell a lot of people, I was like, if anything, it, it hurts you more to be hunting from a blind because it hurt. Most people aren't willing to be mobile when they have a blind. Right. They got to break down and move. Yeah. I was like, let those guys hunt out of blinds. They'll just sit in one spot. I'll run around and kill birds. <laughs> right. But right. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've bow hunted a little bit and I used the blind to get my first one. And then I got to the point where I was like, man, I hate toting this thing out there, setting it up. If I wanted to move, I was like, yeah, I was like, heck with that. I'm going to just start sitting beside bushes and stuff and try to use the natural cover as a blind. And I, I yep. really don't care to bow hunt turkeys to me. It's uh that boom is kind of that fun. Um, I don't know the fan finality the of, finality of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it all, all the emotion also, boom and it's over you know yeah yeah <laughs> it just seems, yeah it doesn't seem it's, 
I grew up with a shotgun hunting turkey, so it just doesn't seem to go hand in hand to me. That's just the way I grew yeah, up. Yeah, no, I, oh, for sure. Uh, no, I, I totally get where you're coming from. I, then the the shotgun I used for years, I think I, I used it until I gifted it to my little cousin when I was like 21, 22 or so, was a, uh, uh, a 12-gauge uh, Ithaca Feather Light. Um, used it I mean, from, from the time I was probably eight years old mm-hmm. uh and it actually <laughs> the first time I, I shot the first time i used it it was a we put a sawed off like sks stock on it that was like short enough for me uh yeah. so i was eight years old shooting that 12 gauge it was only a two and three quarter inch uh, okay. uh shotgun well, the, tw- uh, the 12 uh, gauge probably helped the the weight the recoil so you yeah it was good yeah thing. yeah but it was uh uh it was a it was good. Now that I look back, I'm like, that was a great turkey on because it was in, it was really light. Uh, um, for uh, that's hence the name, the Ithaca Featherlight. But now, if you want an Ithaca, they're uh, pretty pretty tough to come by. I know I know they still make new ones, but uh, mm-hmm. hardly hardly see anyone shooting those now. But yeah, lots lots changed uh, in turkey loads the last couple of years since I haven't uh, uh, haven't been hunting with a shotgun. Apparently, I missed the uh, uh, well. I saw it happening from afar. The TSS uh, rage this year, uh, and, and everyone losing their mind on that. So, uh, but some of yeah, the, other, I, I worked with a couple guys that, that use it and they, they swore by it. So apparently it must be good stuff. Oh, it is. I, I mean, especially for like your smaller gauges, like, uh, Brooks, 410, yeah. 410, she killed two gobblers this year that her, her main thing was, I mean, her 20 gauge would, would outperform her 410. No problem. Mm-hmm. No, no question that's that's tss and tss right but uh she doesn't care for the the, the recoil from her 20 gauge mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um she, she shot it when she was four years old she shot and missed a turkey with it yep. the 20 gauge it's a little teeny gun yeah. and um and then and when she shot it when she was six years old she shot it at a, a mountain dew can we just like just shoot that just to make sure the dot's still on she shot it and i had it on this shooting stick and she had a finger in there between the trigger guard and the stick and it pinched her finger and and uh that made her a little leery right there i was like oh sweetie that's that's just something that happened on the shooting stick it won't happen again just keep your finger on the not in that spot right and so then we took her out and she shot her first bird when she was six and and after that hunt, she's like a little leery to, to, to hunt. And I was like, I finally figured out it was the recoil. Mm-hmm. And, she's, and I was like, I was like, I'll, I'll get a 410. You can use that. So I got a 410 and she was still worried, leery to, to shoot it. And I mm-hmm. she's like, prove to me it doesn't kick. Shoot it with one hand. And so I did. I held it out there and I shot it with turkey load. And I was like, Phew. yeah, she's yeah. like, oh, wow. So she got out there and shot it. She's like, that doesn't kick at all. I was like, I told you it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so she's been shooting it. But the problem with the 410 is they don't hold very many pellets until TSS came along. Now you can right. shoot number nine shot. And and Federal has this new, I don't know if they've told the public yet, but you can build your own shell, custom build your own shell. It's Really? It'll be launching soon. I'm going to their plant. It's not far from here. It's about 20 yeah. minutes away. And I was like, I want a 410 with nothing but number 10 shot TSS. And I want a 20 gauge with nothing but 10 shot TSS. Cause there's going to be like mm-hmm. the, the shells I have now I'm shooting are 20 gauge eight by tens and they have a thousand mm-hmm. pellet, over a thousand pellets in them. Gracious me. Yeah. So when you shoot it, it's a swarm of bees. I mean, just going yeah. down 
um i'm i don't know i've always liked to see a lot of pellet holes you know just to feel the pattern i'm not worried about long range i just like i don't like voids in my pattern right sure no oh, i i get that and that's i've always i've always aired on the uh quote-unquote lighter side of loads like i've always shot number sixes mm-hmm. instead of like number fours or fives yeah that's that's uh, something i've never understood a, a lot of guys would shoot but when lead was the only option would shoot fours and fives and, and i'm shooting sixes i was trying to get as many pellets i guess i i was never a long distance shooter they, they were yeah the he- one of my turkeys were within 30 yards it seemed yeah like. the, the heavier the heavier ones would would the heavier shot obviously carries a little bit better yeah. than the lighter shot um but i i mean i think the the furthest bird i've ever i've ever shot and and killed i've, I've probably I've, i have taken ill-advised shots at further ranges when I they think were running done that. <laughs> yeah uh, um flying flying and running i've i've let a i've let a couple loose but uh i think the furthest one was was almost 60 yards it was like 58 yards and oh, that nice. was actually that was with uh i actually i did kill him with Longbeard xr uh, which was uh, and still I think still is a phenomenal uh, yeah it's uh, round. A, it's a good one for especially for lead um, yeah but TSS is hard to beat just, yeah yeah it, it sure looks like it but and I am a um, the I biggest am, thing is it it basically eliminates the the choke question what choke right. combination you could you take your gun just shoot it through it and it's going to pattern great it doesn't right. matter what choke you're using right. Yeah, I, I work with a guy that like all he, like all spring, all he does is pattern. He buys like like five or six different chokes for whatever gun he's he's planning on using, and then like tries to find the best pattern uh, um, between the chokes and the shot he was using. And this year was the same thing. This year he got TSS, and he was like, "It doesn't matter. It patterns basically the same out of out of any of these different size chokes that I use." So, mm-hmm. but uh, well, man, I'm glad I've got another uh, turkey turkey nut friend i'm the only one on the podcast that even enjoys turkey hunting <laughs> the other uh the other three guys don't uh, uh they, they turkey hunt in passing, yeah, obviously. Guess, yeah they don't know what they're missing out on man i'm telling you it's uh it's the poor man's elk I, um <laughs> but man i i have a blast doing it i i i enjoy turkey hunting way more than i do deer hunting it's just a, a completely different experience and and i'm lucky enough to be in missouri which is a really good turkey hunting state so uh but should, we're uh, what's up? I said you should get up to Wisconsin sometimes. That's I think that's probably the number one, in my opinion, number one turkey state right now in the nation. Yeah, yeah, as as, they're, uh, they're doing well. Well, the the number of birds, the the, the availability of permits, or they call an author authorizations, mm-hmm. and uh, basically there's no limit. You can get as many as you want as long as there's some still available. Wow, and they're very cheap, fifteen dollars each. So a non-resident, that's fifteen dollars each for a non-resident. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm so, gonna have to do that next. And year, there's plenty though. of public land. So I, a lot of people get on to me about sharing that info, but I think it's the the top state right there. I think it's a state a lot of people don't know about it, and, and yeah, the, the cost is, you know, you can't beat beat it for the price. Yeah. Well, not not for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that Missouri is great as of place missouri is for residents it's it's not nice for non-residents one because of the season closing you know one o'clock every day which kind of sucks and you can only shoot one bird the first two weeks yeah and so you come down there as a non-resident you're not going to stay more than two weeks so you only get one bird yeah yeah unless you you have to time it to where you would you would hunt uh the new season or maybe it's the first week sorry yeah you could Uh, time it where you 
you're overlapping the two crossover that season. Yeah. Uh, but most, you know, most guys come down for, for the weekend, maybe, maybe a long weekend, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and what, if you do that the first week, you won't, you you get to shoot one bird and then you're going home. So I wish, uh, I wish, I wish most States would do follow Wisconsin's lead and charge per bird. Mm -hmm. Um, but a reasonable price, you know, like Nebraska charges like 90 or a hundred dollars or something along those lines per bird basically is what they're charging. You can get up to three, but I mean, you go to like South Carolina, for instance, you, you have to buy a non-resident license and all this other stuff to get five birds. But what if I only wanted to come down there and shoot one, maybe charge me one fifth the price, you know? Be nice right. if the states did that, but they're not going to do yeah. that. It's too a, much non, money. a non a non resident permit, which is the only option you have. Like, so you get you get the two birds, uh, one the first week, and then one uh, during the second or third week of season. Or if you don't kill one the first week, then you can kill two in the second and third week, but you can't kill them on the same day. Yeah. Uh, uh, in Missouri, it's one hundred and ninety dollars, uh, and so it's it's kind it's of for expensive non-resident. for. Yeah, that's for a non-resident. I bought uh, which, one I mean, uh, a couple of years ago, but I didn't get to use it. I got sick on that trip and didn't even get to go hunting. Yep, yep. And that's that's about what I spent for Kansas, but Kansas is all day hunting. I think that was three permits instead of two. Uh, and I think I can use them all on the same day, I, if I remember correctly. I so. think you can only get two in Kansas, but I'm, I may be mistaken. Okay. I, I thought right. it was two, but I'm not maybe, sure. Maybe. Maybe it was too. Maybe or maybe they have the uh, bonus option now. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, uh, yeah. Well, I, I keep telling my co-hosts they're they're missing out on uh, on turkey hunting, but they don't believe me. But that's, oh, well, that's more right. turkeys for us. Yeah, exactly. At least more for me. <laughs> uh, so we're hanging out tonight with Shane Simpson uh, from Calling All Turkeys, and uh, particularly kind of what I'm interested in is the Cali Chronicles. Um, Callie is your, uh, she's a blue tick hound, yeah, right? Blue, blue tick, blue tick coon hound. Uh, so tell us, uh, tell us about her and, and your, uh, your story with, uh, uh, getting her for blood tracking. Oh, this could be a long story, but I'll, I'll try to make it as, as short as possible. Um, <laughs> our, our average podcast is like an hour and a half long. So okay. you, it, it's, it's fine. You, you take all the time you want. <laughs> well, we got a lot to talk about pro- potentially, so I don't want to type one topic for half the show but uh basically I, I think like everyone who's lost a deer in their life you know you you try to think of other ways you can find that deer you know i've right. i've bought different types of lights you know i even thought about that spray you know you spray on the ground or peroxide yeah, uv spray or yeah all that yeah. stuff you know, black lights and 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 finally um i was on a turkey hunt and i ran to a guy that lived next door to where we were hunting and uh, he was a blood, a deer tracker. He actually tracked for a lot of the celebrities and stuff mm-hmm, in Illinois. Mm-hmm. You know, they lost a deer, but he tracked for other people too. And we sat there in the evenings, and him, he would just talk about these these stories about you know tracking f- tracking these deer days later after rain, you know, you know following them for a mile, and they were so right. intriguing. And uh, kind of it kind of really lit the fire in me to get a, a tracking dog, but not quite. Uh, over the you know over the ledge there to to actually right. make the decision to, to to get one. Uh, I think it was the following fall or two falls later. I was hunting with a buddy, filming him, and he shot a deer and smacked it right in the shoulder. Um, minimal penetration, but you know we're thinking maybe it got a lung or something. Right. Uh, no blood to follow. 
I mean, a couple of drops and that was it. We went in the direction the deer went, didn't find anything. Um, we called the track after just searching about a hundred yards in the direction it went and tried to come back the next day. We tried to get help to find this deer and no, basically didn't. A lot of people were willing to come help, but they never showed up the next morning. Just three of us were there. Right. Um, we grid searched that place all day long. We put notes in mailboxes of the landowners nearby. If they found this deer. I put a trail camera out and two weeks later I got video of this deer still alive, but yeah. I'd already made the decision that I'm getting a tracking dog. I am not going to watch another, and I'm not going to rely on other people. Number one, um, sure. I'm not the best tracker there is cause I, I have trouble seeing blood. And uh, so that was kind Are of you the, colorblind. One of our hosts is like super colorblind. No, I, he can't here's see the thing. I work in the digital graphics industry, so I had to match color and stuff for a lot of clients. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I use yeah, a spectrum, yeah. a spectral photometer to, to check color also to make sure I mm -hmm. can see what I, uh, that I'm seeing it correctly. But it's just in that certain area, that red green area. All mm -hmm, my other, mm -hmm. my, my rest of, when you look at it, I'm, I'm making a big circle in my hand. There's a, a test I take and it's a graph that's in a circle. Mm -hmm. All the other colors I'm, I'm really good in, like, especially in the blues, I'm perfect vision. In right. That. It's just that red green. Like I can't see red berries on a tree. It's hard for me to pick those out unless I get yep. up close to them. Yep. That's Unless, the same as Rob. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm sure he's pretty sure he's red green colorblind. So, I mean, it's difficult for me to track a deer with just blood alone. Um, I've, I've lost a couple deer over my lifetime of hunting and, and I, w I, I don't know for sure if it would have been, <clears throat> if it's a shot placement or the lack of being able to track blood that I'm sure it would have helped if I could have followed some specs. I know one time I had a person helping me track and mm -hmm. he, would, he inspects the blood 20 feet in front of us that there's no way I would have saw that. And we yeah. found that deer. And, and so anyway, that's how I ended up deciding to get a dog. And, uh, right away I, I Googled and found, uh, United blood trackers, um, decided to go ahead and join that group. You know, it was $25 for a membership. I was like, what the heck, you know, here's $25 yeah. donation. Even if I don't get a dog and I started asking questions, learning things and, I basically decided to get Callie because of her height, even though there were mm -hmm. other dogs that seemed to be a favorite, like the wired hair Dotsons, the little small dogs, mm -hmm, they're a little, mm -hmm. uh, their favorite tracking dog over in Europe. And, um, they're somewhat easy to handle and they're very good tracking dogs. My issue is that is they're small and there's a lot of water around here, swamps and cattail marshes, mm -hmm. or whatever. And yep. so when I asked them how they handled that, they said, well, they just pick the dog up and carry it to the other side and hopefully you know pick up the scent again and i'm like i don't right. i don't want that i want a dog to walk through it and smell the scent on the water in the or in the cattails right so um that's i started looking for a dog and i was looking for something along the lines of some type of uh, a dog in her breed you know a coon hound or a walker or, mm -hmm. or even mm -hmm. a, a beagle you know that those would still be able to handle some water especially some of the taller breeds of beagles Sure. And uh, beagles were too expensive. It seemed like everybody was selling them for two or three thousand dollars. My and word. I found, yeah. I finally found an ad for the blue tick coonhounds that the guy was getting rid of them for pretty cheap, three hundred dollars. Yeah. I think there you he, yeah, he's a breeder and, and he still breeds dogs, but he uh apparently had too many pups all at the same time and he couldn't get rid of them quick enough. So he was hmm. just basically trying to get rid of some of it. It was costing more to to feed them and everything it was the yeah yeah so he was getting rid of them pretty quick and she turned out to be a pretty good dog so far so she's uh she's got a high success rate much higher than the national average so i'm i'm proud of yeah. how she's doing so far that's awesome uh so is, is there 
Um, it, is there a certain like uh, subspecies uh, that or you know of, of canine that, that yeah or that like what what makes certain breeds have like I'm I'm guessing it's their like their ability to smell or their sense of smell yeah that's that's uh, basically that, all that you kind of sets sets them apart yeah you just need a dog that's good at following scent you know you German yeah. shepherds I guess please use those uh, labs um, mm-hmm. any, any of your hound type dogs um the wire hair dotsons um there's like a little wiener dog but uh mm-hmm. yeah you, you probably could just use about any dog i think all right. dogs have a great sense of smell but uh, yeah oh they, they certainly have better better sense of smell than a than a human yeah uh, yeah yeah i know i've got a that there's there's one guy that i know in the area that does blood tracking and he has a, a dachshund like a, a full-size dachshund which is for yeah. those who, who don't know is like a like a giant wiener dog like a 40 pound wiener dog yeah <laughs> uh and uh they're 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 kind of they're kind of a hoot to watch but uh uh but it's I, I feel like it's it's a successful dog he's posting pictures and stuff all the time um so what is what is the process of training a uh a tracking dog look like so i mean oh. you, you get the dog you have this puppy and then like what do you well, what re- do you do to get, do with it? Well, I read up on that because I had no idea. And there's there's books and things out there. And I probably should have bought me a book. But I just kind of Google stuff. And uh, I would find this blog or that website, YouTube videos. And, and I kind of pick and, and choose or chose uh, what I wanted to believe. Like some people would use blood to, mm-hmm. to create scent trails. Some would just use a, a hoof. And they would explain why. And, I, and that's kind of the, the line I took. Well, I'll back up the one of the earliest things they said, make it something that's really easy for them to smell to start training. And so I took a, a, a deer hide, a piece of deer hide, you know, eight inches by eight inches. And, it, you know, it still had that fresh blood, uh, raw skin on the back. It wasn't freeze dried or dried or anything. It was right. kept in a freezer. And so it was still, uh, wet and, and meaty. And I would play with, uh, Callie in the house with it and, and let her get a good whiff of it and the, you know, the blood and, and whatever else is on the flesh. Uh, I would train her initially when she was like eight weeks old. I probably could have started her earlier if I'd gotten her sooner. I got her when she was like eight or nine weeks old or whatever age she was. But, um, there was a suggestion to use like raw liver or beef liver. It's got a lot of odor. Mm-hmm. It'd be easy for a pup to figure out. The, the thing is there their nose is capable of detecting a lot of odors that as a pup, their brain right. is not developed enough to figure out what it yeah. all means. And so yeah, to compute it all. Yeah. yeah. And so I would drag, I'd take a string and tie a little piece of beef liver and I'd drag it through the yard, you know, 30 yards behind the garage or, or a shed and, and I'd lay it there and I'd bring her out immediately. So the track was fresh and she would follow it and, and get her a little treat. Um, eventually worked over to a, a deer leg piece of deer leg and i'd play in the house with it with her and i'd drag it around the house on the carpet which is not very good for scent because it's right. you know, synthetic uh fabric doesn't hold scent yeah. very well um she'd find it eventually and i'd give her a little treat of raw beef liver and then i you know i just progressed this along until eventually i was instead of dragging things i was walking a deer leg in the yard um, I would hide it. I'd go to the neighbors. I'd go across the street. And there's an empty vacant lot over there. Um, 
and I'd give her a treat then before long she wasn't so interested in the treat as she was the deer leg she wanted to keep it and chew on it and <laughs> now she chews on these deer legs there's nothing left after a few days uh, she eats the hoof the hair the bone and all she you can hear a crack in the bone she eats the marrow out of she loves to get the marrow yep, out of the bone yep, yep. Bone and marrow and you, after about three or four days there'll be a few shards of bone there and then it disappears she eats it all she just it's a wonder that bone hasn't stuck through her intestine or something but <laughs> she wants to eat it and she's a dog i'm sure they're capable of handling that yeah stuff, yeah so th- that she just has that that working drive to to find yeah to find whatever and, she's sniffing. and i kind of helped her along by you know showing her that and i would in that training that early training i wanted to, her to associate certain words so even with the beef liver when i first started it i would point to the ground and say find it you know, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't let her start tracking until I gave the command, find it. And so when now right. she's alert, she's learned uh, that's what that means. And so when we go on tracks uh, to find deer, you know, she's anxious. She's looking around, she's sniffing stuff. And then I was like, all right, you ready? And she comes over and she watches where our hand points and I'll point to the ground and find it. And she sticks her nose right there and gives a good whiff. And yeah, she does a pretty good job doing that. So. Uh, I, we're part, we're putting the cart before a horse a little bit or else I, or at least I am, but does, does the amount of blood typically play a, a big part in her ability to track? Like if there's a ton of blood, does it make it easier for her? Yes. Um, but she doesn't need blood. So here was my thinking. Obviously the reason you need a tracking dog a lot of times, especially in my case is, because uh, you run out trouble. of blood, there is you no can't blood. See yeah. blood, or you run out of blood. So a right. dog that's trained to follow blood is basically as useless as we are. Yeah, it's just for us. <laughs> yeah, if you run out of blood, a dog's not going to be able to follow if he's trained to follow blood. So right. I, I've read a couple of those articles online, and and I'm like, I agree. That's what I, way I got to do it. And so early on, I you know did the beef liver, and I even drizzled some deer blood on the leg as I started walking. And I finally said, you know what, I'm gonna just let her follow the deer leg, the interdigital right. gland. And as I walk it in the dirt yep. and, and the thing with deer, it's just like with people, each deer has its own individual scent. You know, one deer doesn't right. they smell like deer, but one smells yep. different. A deer can identify other deer. So a dog can pick up on that. So I yep. would, some of the, the training was to take a deer hoof and walk it, you know, on a path through the field or whatever, and then take another deer and bring it across and intersect that trail. And I would do something like a piece of deer hide with a lot of odor, you know, something appealing. Right. And I'd put her on the, the initial deer track. And when she'd cut that fresh track, she'd try to take it. And I would correct her. I was like, no, and bring her back to restart. She had to learn that you stay on the deer that I put you on initially. Don't take other deer and keep them from jumping tracks. Right. Um, if you just train them to track deer, then they're just going to follow the hottest smell out there, even though, Sometimes we're tracking deer 24 hours later. And so, and plenty of deer have come through there since. Right. So uh, that was one of the other things. And and so she's learned without me using blood to, to track that scent that I point to. Now I can, I can tell her to track anything. I've taken my daughter out there in the yard and I said, all right, take your flip flops off and go to the neighbors and go hide somewhere. Uh huh. And I bring Callie out there and I, and I, point to where my daughter was standing i said find it and she f- tracks my daughter i took a turkey wing and and drug it and around and made a big path for her to follow and, and came out there and said find it and she followed that scent she whatever i point to she's trying to follow that scent she doesn't care what it is she prefers deer yeah. 
but she's learned to, to track every, any individual scent that I point to. Yeah, man, I've gone from having not having a dog to wanting a deer tracking dog like in 10 minutes you're doing a <laughs> you're doing a really good job of, of describing this um so one thing i saw you talk about in one of your videos that i've i i don't know why because i am a tech nerd uh that i never even thought about using um it's an application that you use to replicate shots that uh um to where it kind of tells you like you know where what might have been hit as far as the vitals um what's the name of the app and and have you found it to be accurate so far um the the app is bow hunt simulator and, and my daughter likes to use it as a game she plays with it aiming because you can change it to different animals and you can it's actually like a little game because you can you know you can make turkey sounds if you're hunting turkeys and huh. nothing walks up you just i don't know what right. the point of it is but you can make sounds um I think they're charging now. When I got it, it was free, and I still have it on my phone. I imagine I'm gonna have to if I upgrade my phone, I'm gonna have to pay for the <laughs> like two ninety nine. But um, it is somewhat accurate as far as where the the um, vitals are located. Stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect. Uh, I will say that right. sometimes when you see on my videos where I show where the arrow hit, I have to record that three or four times to get it to go through the organs. I think it actually went through, so I can aim at the body of the deer. Right. And it goes through where I think it would have went, but when it shows the organs, it missed where it, you know, so I think they're, right. off, they're out of, they're off skew a little bit. So, right. But it'll get you in the ballpark. If you think, okay, I hit yeah. here four inches uh, low and right here, it's going to be somewhat close. So you can yeah. kind of look at, okay, it was close to the liver. I may have hit liver. Yeah. You, know, you can kind of use that as a good judgment. There may be some others out there. That's just the one I found that I've gotten used to. And so I just use it as a tool to show on the videos what we're kind of in our mind, what we're being told by the hunter. And I'm trying to visualize that and give the viewer something to see also. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it looked, it looked pretty neat. Like I said, I had never, never seen it. And I'm kind of yeah, you it's know, called- ashamed, ashamed of myself that I hadn't hadn't even thought about using technology in that kind of aspect. That's one of my probably top questions. What is that app you're using? And so it's, I list them all in the video links, the equipment I use in the yeah. app. I think I've, if not, I, I need to go update some of it, but I think I've been doing a pretty good job better lately with the Cal, uh, with Colorado turkeys, putting all the gear that I use. So I'm going to try to improve that with the Cali Chronicles listing everything that I use, even the apps and whatnot. But that's, uh, that's probably one of the, top questions i get what app do i use for that yeah so uh, one i know we're, we're jumping ahead and kind of our the outline but one uh one thing that i see every just constantly every uh deer season is the um uh this is your blood uh like diagram where if you hit here your blood is you know uh you know bright red with bubbles and or you know it's pink with bubbles or it's it's yellow uh, and, and what that, what that means. Um, now I, I, I would say that basically all of the deer that I've ever shot have been, it's been bright red blood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, 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 uh, like I haven't, I've never really seen much of a change, but I would, I would assume somebody that's been on, uh, a number of tracks, you've seen different types of blood. Have you, have you seen those like charts to, to hold up and to be like somewhat accurate? Um, not, not, not really. Uh, here's the thing. The blood coloration is mostly dictated by the amount of oxygen in the blood. So you can hit a deer in the shoulder right. 
and get a flesh wound. And then the hunter calls you. He's like, man, I got tons of bright red blood. You know, it's got to be lung or something. Like, right. no, that could have come from a leg hit. Uh, and I yeah. see that often. Um, what happens, what you want to see ideally is, is really pink blood with bubbles mm-hmm. in it, like lung blood, obviously. Um, or dark blood is, is kind of a favorite for me as a tracker. That means you got liver or guts. And those are usually close to 100% recovery when you get down there. As long as the hunter hasn't been tracking and jumping the deer. Yeah, not, yeah not, pushing it, pushing it, pushing yeah. it, yeah. So whenever I get bright red blood and there's no bubbles, I, I really don't like that. That usually means it's a muscle hit. That's basically what right. it means. Now, as the deer, if you keep bumping it and bumping it and it's a muscle hit and it's just a leg wound or, or you know, depending on how severe it is, the deer, if it keeps going along, he can start depleting his blood of oxygen. And so you, it'll start turning darker or right. depending on where you hit the deer, blood coming from the lungs is going to be bright blood returning yeah. from the, or whatever arteries brings the lung, the blood back to the lungs before it's oxygenated again, it's going to be dark. So it, you know, it's a guessing game at that point. What you want to yeah. see is that bright, pink almost bubbly that bubbly pink stuff or you know if if you get some really dark stuff that looks like mixed with guts and stuff those are mm-hmm. you know it's, it's a shame for the animal that because they might be in a little pain they're gonna be in pain no matter what they got a shot you know but um right as a tracker i almost prefer to see um a really dark blood that means because usually we find those deer yeah you know, whenever you need to call a dog and when it gets to that point those are the ones i kind of like to see yeah. So, uh, with those different types of blood, do you, uh, would you, if somebody sees the darker blood, would you almost always recommend that they like back out? Oh, yeah, like they yeah, shoot, it, shoot it in the evening, give it, give them track. overnight. Yeah. If you walk out to the, to the shot location and you start finding dark blood, just mark your last blood well with something bright to find mm-hmm. and then back out, call a tracker, get their opinion. The minimum you're going to want to wait is six hours. That's a, a liver, liver shot, I think takes six to eight hours. Um, gut shot can take more than 12 hours. So you need to yeah. give a gut shot overnight. It's not going to hurt as long as the temperatures are fine. If you're pretty sure it's a liver shot and the temperatures are kind of iffy, then you may want to go in there like five or six hours or four hours. I've pushed the, I pushed the envelope once on, at four hours and the deer was, was still alive when we got to it, but it, it was on its last leg. It couldn't even open, you know, move. It was, but you could right. see it barely breathing. So it was right at that critical point but the temperatures were warm and so we we wanted to try and find it in case it was more you know a, a quicker death where the meat right. starts pulling so there, there's a lot of things like that that go into play when you're trying to decide if the temperatures are cool you know low 40s you know i have no problem waiting till the next morning the only thing it comes into play then is how many coyotes do you normally see around here you're gonna run yeah. the risk. they'll find just like um with liver and gut shot, especially gut shot deer, they're <clears throat> much easier for a tracking dog to find those. Like Callie was a hundred percent on gut shot deer um, right. up until one deer this year. We're not sure if it was gut shot because we never found it. But uh, prior to that, uh, all the other ones that we thought were gut shot, we found every single one of them. They seem to put off more odor and those deer, the coyotes can find just as easy because uh, of the amount of odor. My daughter shot one with a, yep. her rifle and, and hit it way back in the gut and uh 
and we gave it overnight because I didn't even I didn't go there and look for blood. As soon as I saw the video replayed it and saw where she hit, I was like, "We're out of here. We'll come yeah. back in the morning." We brought Callie. The coyotes had already found it, but um, I don't think they had been there long because they hadn't eaten. But along the ribs and a, mm-hmm. little, a, a little section of the hindquarter or a backstrap on one side, and uh, the rest of the deer was fine. So, and the way <laughs> Callie was acting, we must have just run those coyotes off. Run them she, off, yeah. Yeah, because she she had no interest in that deer when we came up to her. She kept pulling, barking, wanting to go farther through the woods. I think she could smell those coyotes, and she wanted to go after them. But hmm. that's that's interesting. Um, so what's like one of the most difficult tracks you've, you've been on? I saw one where you covered, it seemed like every bit of a mile and a half, uh, 1.3 miles. That that's the one that seems to, to come to mind easiest. I mean, as far as, uh, cause you crossed a, a good sized Creek and, and everything. And she, and she stayed on it. Which one? I didn't cross a Creek on that one. Oh, the one I oh, saw okay. she crossed. No, there. Oh, it was across a marsh, and it was a big. Uh, the one yeah, yeah. Pulling me, that was a, a buddy of mine. Actually, we went uh, just under twelve hundred yards. So whatever, however okay. far that is. Yeah, three quarters of a mile. Yeah, he had called me just because he saw the arrow sticking out at the other side of the deer, and he just wanted to make sure that he found it. He thought he would. It was going to be a pretty easy find, and when we got there the next morning. And the, all the blood we saw, I was like, yeah, this deer's going to be right up here. And I mean, this thing mm-hmm. was dumping blood. And uh, all of a sudden, the blood just ran out after about 600 yards. But I could tell, you know, by his description and, and, and the color of the blood, we could tell it wasn't just a muscle hit. That is, you know, you get a high shoulder with no right. penetration. Those deer a lot of times survive. You, you have two or yeah. 300 yards of good, bright blood and then nothing. I don't know Nothing how many calls happened. I've gotten that and that the, the deer shows up on camera later, but, uh, gosh, uh, I mean, you can watch that video on my, on my channel. It's like my deer wants, my dog wants this deer bad. It's the title of that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That that's what I watched. So you, and the listeners want to go watch that without me telling the whole story, but basically, um, we finally found that deer. We were real close to it and we could, there were so many wound beds right there in one time. Yeah. You, yeah. You loop back around to it. Yeah. yeah. And Callie was trying to, having a hard time figuring out a direction and my buddy neil was sitting up on a hill just glassing through the woods and about 40 yards away there he finally spotted it it was just right there in plain view we just couldn't see it and we'd done a circle yeah. around it twice so he's like bring callie over and let her think she found it you know even though he saw it and mm-hmm. so i brought it over there and when we gutted open the deer had actually been lacerated across the heart and 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 it hit the i can't remember if it, if it hit both lungs or one lung and liver but the blade had cut you know how a heart is on a deer it's the muscles the walls of it are very thick the chambers mm-hmm. are pretty small yep i I'd, I'd stuck my hand and it was a deep laceration i took stuck my hands in there to try to separate and see how close it was and then it popped open and it was that close to severing the wall but i mean just the fact that it severed i mean cut that heart that deep you would have think would have been trouble for it to, to operate. Right. Um, but I mean, that deer went a long ways. It crossed that marsh, it crossed that, that slough and, and oh my goodness, that was, it turned from a track we thought was going to be easy peasy to, uh, <laughs> the one we thought yeah. we weren't going to recover this yeah, year. Not sure how this is going to turn yeah. out. So you had a, you had another one that was even tougher than that one. Oh yeah. This was one that I got partial video. This is the one, uh, we tracked the deer 1.3 miles. This was, this was also for a buddy. I was supposed to go turkey hunting with the next day, fall turkey dogging. And, uh, 
I called him to to see what time he wanted me to meet him. He said, I don't know. I got a deer I shot and I'm having trouble finding it. And, and I got to go talk to the neighbors that may have went on his property. And I was like, well, don't track it anymore. He'd already jumped it once. Right. Yeah. I said, don't track it anymore. I'll bring Callie down. So I thought, okay, this will be another easy one. I'll bring Callie down. We started at 10 PM. We tracked it for a few hours and we lost blood actually. And then, Callie was trying to take me one direction. I just let her keep going and I didn't see any blood and I probably passed blood, just didn't see it. And she was taking me to another woodlot across the field and we got to it. And I said, I'm going to drop a pin and I'll turn around. And when I got there, it was a drop of blood right there in that little four wheel trail going into the woods. I said, Oh, we, uh, she's trying to follow the deer. The blood mm-hmm. was still wet. So I was like, yeah, we need to back out. We'd gone. I don't know how far we'd gone at that point. I'm just guess 800 yards or could have been 600 yards, but we, uh, we went back to his place and, and got up the next morning and began again. She took us to a wound bed. Um, we had to get permission from the neighbor to continue tracking on some other property. Um, we had a ton of trail cameras on this property. And so we got a hold of him, asked him, could we check the, the trail cameras to see if we could figure out exactly where this deer was hit? He thought he knew where he hit it, but it, the fact that it went this far and there's another wound bed and there's more blood. Right. Now we're going down a huge hill to the, towards the highway. So we went and checked when there was nothing on camera. We got to the county road and we found a speck of blood at next to it. But at this point, we'd gone almost a mile or, or yeah, maybe over a mile by this point. And Callie wanted to go down the road and she, I let her go. And she took me a third of a mile down the road and not a single sign of this deer. And she cut into a swamp. And my buddy could, didn't know where I was at. So I, I came, I dropped a pin and came back to the road and let him find me. He come down on his vehicle and he said, I would just want to win sent the swamp first and then we'll go back. And I was kind of anxious to get her back on the track. She'd gotten us this far. Well, right. after we did a kind of a wind scent, just walked her around downwind side of that swamp. She didn't pick up on anything. We took her back around. She cut that trail that, that she wanted to cut in on. And as soon as she did, she started, you could hear her nose clicking. And I was like, okay, she's, we're back on that trail. He, the, the, the hunter decided to go up another four wheel trail and just kind of randomly look to the woods. Callie, mm-hmm. Callie kind of ran forward about 10 yards in front or the length of my lead. And then she stopped and she'd come running back. And then she took a left or my left. And I just happened to look over there and there was deer legs sticking out and she went straight to the deer. And this was 1.3 mm. miles later and 22 hours total of tracking. <sighs> my goodness. And, uh, the, the deer apparently hadn't been dead long. We, when he cut it open, it was still warm on the, on the wow. organ. Yeah. Double lung and a liver. And, uh, and how My did this deer goodness. live? It? Yeah. So the problem was, or the, the thing we think helped this deer out. Number one, one of the lungs like had an injury. So the, any. It was already used to it. operating on one. Yeah. yeah it didn't, and then didn't matter. the other lung hit far back. And, and what I'm told is, you know, most of the, lungs capability is the more forward you hit it the the quicker it puts a deer down the more uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, bleeds and the the more damage it does to lungs a deer or or any animal with lungs the the very back or the bottom of the lungs is the least critical so i mean if you have injury to the bottom of your lung it's not as critical as the top where all the blood vessels and capillaries and all that right. so the fact that it hit so far back on that one lung that looked normal. And the other one was already looked inoperable. It was basically the liver injury that did it in. And, you know, huh. so, and sometimes so, those aren't exactly six to eight hours. They can be longer, but sure, it's sure. six to eight hours. 
So there's two two questions that I have that I want to spin off of that. One is uh, you see, uh, or, or at least I, I have uh, been, I guess technically I wasn't a part of it. I've had friends that have shot um, deer where it ended up being, you know, a like a good hit, like a double lung hit, whatever should like in, in every instance uh, been a lethal shot. And, and it normally is. But sometimes these deer will end up, you know, like that, 800 yards, a mile off. Uh, and it just blows my mind on how some of these deer can travel that far without uh, without the or at least a very limited ability to breathe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is do you I mean, is that uh, is that an uncommon thing or is that or is that more common than people uh, than people assume? I think it's more common than, than any of us ever believed. I mean, it shocks me every time I want to track and I do these autopsies or whatever you would call it, doing it on an animal. Um, right. Um, the injuries to some of these organs and, and the fact that deer went this far. But then, you know, I'm in tracking groups and I'm tracking friends and we share trail cam photos of deer we track and it's privately yep. shared. Um, but some of these deer you see the injury, the entry and exit wounds from trail cam videos and pictures. And you're like, mm -hmm. why is, how is that deer even walking? Sometimes right. they got a deer, uh, an arrow stuck clean through the chest cavity, sticking out still. The deer is walking around eating and everything. I'm like th these are things that shouldn't be happening, you know? So we, right. You're definitely, or I guess all wildlife, but deer are definitely tougher. And, yeah. uh, and, and you got to think they're created to survive. They're, they're out there fighting with animals. Yeah. They're yep. being gored. So their body has to be able to take some punishment, but it's just, you know, you'd, you'd think you could send a field point through their body and it would kill them. But you know, it, it sometimes takes a lot of, uh, uh, yeah. uh, damage to their vital organs to put them down. Yeah. They're, they're resilient. They're, they're, I mean, their will to live is, uh, higher than most, I would say. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to where it hasn't, uh, hasn't been a real big issue for me, but I've definitely, I've, uh, you know, multiple friends have like, oh, man, I made, I made a good shot. Like, I don't, I don't understand how this deer either made it this far or I, or I, I was never able to find it. And yeah. I, I'm just starting to think that sometimes, like, even if you make a good shot, like sometimes that animal's will to live is just better than, <laughs> than anything else. And, and they, they prevail in some cases. And there's, I don't know yeah. if there's anything we can, we can do about that. Um, okay. I, I lied. I said I had two questions. Now, now I had three. Um, I, I, I see a lot of people that talk about, uh, um, you know, uh, they'll say I got a heart shot. There's blood everywhere. When in my experience, a heart shot is typically the opposite, uh, depending on the angle. But when you, when you make a good heart shot, uh, from, from what I have seen and from, uh, from personal experiences and from, from friends is the, uh, the blood pressure just plummets. So there's nothing to pump the blood mm -hmm. out of the body. Uh, so a lot of these guys that, you know, they'll, they'll make a good shot where they think it's a hard shot and they get down, they can't find hardly any blood and they freak out and they back out. Uh, and, and all reality that deer is dead, just, you know, over the next hill, but they, uh, you know, just died out of sight and, and they're, they're kind of freaked out. Is that kind of the, have you, have you ever had that happen before when you've been tracking? Uh, I was just trying to think of, uh, I don't know if I've tracked a lot of heart shots, uh, except for Garrett Prawls, his actually, well, I'm, I'm not sure. I think I'm trying to remember where his end up hitting. 
that was track one from last year he hit really low the deer the deer bit down to the to, to bound away and the arrow entry wound was lower than the exit and we were kind of puzzled by that at first but we think the deer was squatting and twisting leaning over twisting. to bound mm-hmm. away and that's why it did that and i think he caught the bottom of the heart and that deer fled okay it wasn't tremendous i think a person could have found that deer with uh you know fairly easily I and mean, there's enough blood right. for that he was more right. concerned with uh, the heat when he started tracking it it started getting into a thick air and he was more concerned about let's find this deer real quick in case you know right um i know deer that i've shot and i've shot a i shot a bunch heart shot one year i shot like four in a row or heart shots and they they didn't bleed a whole lot but they yeah would, they would fall down 50 or 60 yards out in front of me and right. so i didn't even need a blood trail um Seems like the ones that bleed the most are lung shots. Those are the ones yeah. that just seem to pour blood. Uh, well, it depends where in the body cavity you hit, yeah. where in the lungs you hit yeah, them the, too. Near the or near the, if you can get a pass through near the shoulders at the front of the lungs, like I shot one mm-hmm. last year, my bow went right through the leg bone on one side and the shoulder blade on the other. Clean pass through. That mm-hmm. thing, it was just, it, it was doing the pouring blood pretty good. You know, yeah. by my standards, it looked pretty good. That's another thing. A lot of people. When they call, it's like, I got lots of blood. I had lots of blood. It looks like you just took, you know, paint bucket and poured out. And then you get there's just drops of blood. I'm like, obviously, these people don't know what good blood looks like. <laughs> well, lots of blood. Yeah, because <laughs> I, can, I can cut my finger and, and walk through the woods dripping blood, and it, and it will be a bigger blood trail than some of these ones I've tracked <laughs> for. I mean, yeah. so a lot of people have well, a different idea of what good blood is. Yeah. Well, speaking of, and, and the whole reason I stumbled across your page is probably about a year ago or so, uh, was, uh, a good buddy of mine, Isaac, um, shared your page when you, you released some data that you had been, you'd been following, uh, on, uh, uh you, you'd, you'd, I'm sorry, data you've been collecting on your tracking. Uh, and, and, you know, this is where we're kind of getting into the, uh, mechanical versus fixed blade, uh, um, thing and you know when you when you go on any of these i won't say any any manufacturers uh you know facebook pages social media you see these blood trails where it literally looks like somebody just took like a you know a gallon of paint mm-hmm. and just like threw it out uh has that um uh when, when the guys that actually have uh uh have a good good <laughs> a good case for lots of blood like is that uh in your experience has that been the norm or is that is that uh not the norm for when guys shoot these huge wide cut mechanicals um i've 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 only tracked one deer where i saw lots you know lots and lots of blood and that was the girl i tracked for a young lady i tracked for last year we found a pretty big buck and and the reason a lot of people was like well you didn't need a dog on that track and and i'll ask i'll kind of touch on this real quick you know, a lot of times you, you get called out for to track a deer. It's because the hunter's doing the smart thing. They think they made a bad hit. They don't want to, mm-hmm. they don't want to contaminate the scent trail. They don't know what they're going to find. So they just kind of back out and call me, you know, right. in this case, they probably could have followed the blood trail of that deer rather, rather easily. I mean, at mm-hmm. first there was no blood. And then we started going down the hill. We saw some blood and then we got the bottom going up the other side. It was just, bukus of blood i mean i was yeah. running and i could see it and then there was an area almost like the deer was trying to lay down and then we found tufts of hair there was blood here blood there i think coyotes had the coyotes had 
ended up getting the deer, you know, eating part of the deer. But mm-hmm. I found, you know, 80 yards away where there was blood here, blood over there, blood in all different directions. I think the coyotes were messing with it then because there was tufts of hair laying everywhere. And I think right. they chased it. And But anyway, um, that was probably the only one that I've had, like just tons of blood that looked like something, a, a, a extreme wide angle or wide cut broadhead, which you, right. they advertise. Um, the problem with these big wide cutting blades is, they're great if you can get them all the way through a deer. Right. It seems like most of the time they don't. And, and I, I know a lot of people come in there. I've been using this particular head for, and I've shot 20 deer with it. And I've never had a problem. I've had pass-throughs every time. Well, I consider number one, you're, that's an individual thing. Right. I'm, I'm getting data from all you know, kind of walks of life or all hunters. Right. I'm getting the gamut. And I just, to me, it's hard to believe someone shoots a deer or 20 deer with this uh, two inch wide cutting and gets a pass through every time when you can watch the, um, without calling any names, you can go on their YouTube channel or, and watch their ads for their broadheads and the deer they're showing or animals are showing getting shot. Not pass yeah, only 20% are pass throughs or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so, I, uh, so, so I, I remember watching a, it was a very big, uh, TV show. And it was like a best of season eight or something like that. And I, I watched this episode and they had like 10 kills on this episode and literally not a single one was a pass through, not one. Yeah. And, and I mean, and they were able to recover. So, I mean, obviously it was a, yeah. a successful hunt, but uh, uh, you know, the ability to pass all the way through an animal uh, to me is paramount. Like that's the most important thing is to and put two holes in the animal that, that aren't supposed yeah, to. Yeah. You've got to, you got a drain hole number one and, and right. It's, it's usually your exit hole is going to be lower. So pass through means you got a drain hole. Number two, it means you've done more internal damage uh, hemorrhaging because you've passed through more of the animal. And just for, so your listeners know why, like for myself reasons, why are pass throughs? Why am I bringing up non pass throughs from my data? The last couple of years, pass throughs mean a much higher success rate of recovery on especially i mean you look at it we're called it we're dogs a dog's been called in a lot of people say well by then you you know at that point a dog's been called in but you know like earlier in the that i mentioned sometimes the hunter doesn't know what has happened they didn't see right. the arrow so we get a little bit of mix of everything usually so, you know, mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's freebie hunts or tracks like at the beginning of the year like this year i'll, I'll tell my friends if you shoot a deer and you and it goes out of sight Come call me up and I'll bring Callie up there just to get her a, a yeah, refresher. Yeah, get some more experience if under you, your belt. If yeah. you see it drop forty yards from you, don't bother calling me. I I want something that none of us know where the deer is at, just so if we're we're truly flying blind. But um, just in like I said, in the last two years, if if I if a tra- hunter calls me and and I say, okay, where'd you hit? I hit it here. Um, my next question or one of my first questions is, uh, was it a pass through? And when they say yes my hopes go way up yeah uh, we usually find we have a very good success rate of finding pass through shot deer yeah so um some of the uh pieces of data that that you've been able to collect and one thing that uh i guess it didn't surprise me but apparently it surprised a lot of people is the broadhead selection and this was a this is a larger uh group of people that you polled i think within ubm i've had multiple multiple people po- polled yeah, different so, 
people in different places, right? Yeah. So I not only did I poll in various locations, um, I, I also took polls from other people, and then I took the results of people that created polls in groups that, without any you know conversation with me. I just said, okay, here's their results. I'll just pull their numbers and collect it. Right. Um, and these groups, uh, mainly on social media, is where we polled people. But uh, I guess that's basically all we did. But we did it in various groups in different parts of the country. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just people from the Midwest. There was people from the groups from the Midwest, hunting groups from the South. It was you know just general deer hunting groups. It was bow hunting groups. You know, you name it. And it always came back uh, to the selection of broadhead was fifty, basically fifty fifty fixed to mechanical half the hunters out there are shooting fixed and half of them are shooting mechanicals right and and that's i i wanted to lay that ground stat before uh we get into the rest of it because a lot of people would assume like oh well uh you know making more people shoot mechanicals and fixed blades so of course the numbers are going to skew this way that's why i have more tracks for that's what they would say that's the reason you track more for mechanicals than fix is because they sell more there's more hunters using them but that's not the case yet right right and that's it i've had the same experience i've I've had a lot of friends that basically done the same poll and just about every time like maybe it'll be you know 55 45 but it's really close to half and half yeah the next poll you do somewhere else it's the 55 45 the other way yeah and then or most of mine i've seen the results is like 52 48 or 51 49 that's typically what i see but yeah yeah uh so um on to that to that next stat uh that you that you had posted these are all 2017 numbers um the uh, percentage of tracking jobs uh, that you, that uh, you ended up doing were seventy percent mechanical and thirty percent for fixed blade uh, uh, recoveries. Is that right? Um, well, I have in front of me. Or I, I'm 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 sorry. The, j- just the tracking job was seventy percent and thirty percent. Okay, I I have the stats in front of me are my 2017 and 18 combined. So. Oh, okay. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Let's let's look at both of them. I haven't seen the 2018 stats. It's, so there it's you go. on there. I didn't know which one you might be looking. At. I couldn't. I'm sure I could find it somewhere, but there's been a lot of digging, but I can, no, I can get, let's, 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 no, let's, let's go off the, the most comprehensive amount of stats that you've got. Let's, let's go off that. And it actually changed a little bit. It it, it improved for the mechanicals overall. And that's Mm -hmm. what's going to happen with more years of data. You're going to get a a more, more accurate picture. So um, let's see. I mean, what was your, your stat you were looking for how many uh, the, um yeah the tracking job percentage for uh broadhead type okay uh for 2017 and 18 combined fixed broadheads made up 31 percent of our tracks mechanicals made up 69 percent. so it's probably okay. pretty close to what you saw yeah yeah that's that's that that's what i've got which is i mean when you look at 50 50 uh a 50 50 split for that's what hunters are really using a essentially a 70 30 uh you know more than two thirds are one and less than a third is is another that's to me that's quite the uh i don't know if disparity is the right word but it's quite the it leans it certainly leans one way um which which i think kind of leads into the the rest of the stats um well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you just tee it off because i mean this is this is your data uh you you know it better than uh, better than I do. So, uh, however, however you want to wade into it. Uh, yeah. I'll just kind of throw out some there for everyone to, to hear. And, and I'll probably 
jump back for if you want to see these stats they're they're listed on a post on the cali chronicles facebook page uh from november 25th 2018 i actually i'll when i get a chance i'll i'll just pin them to the top of the page so if anybody wants to go look at them they'll be on the top of the yeah. page okay. um so fixed broadheads made up 31 percent. mechanicals made up 69 again this is combined for 2017 and 18 and the number of mm -hmm. tracks i should point that out how many tracks we did if i can dig that up real quick yeah go for it um we did anyway i'll just go through the stats it's got to, i think there's somewhere let's just say there's 50 to 60 tracks maybe 60 tracks okay. i can't remember the total that's Drum. that's that's a good I, I i think that's a good i mean that's a good amount to where we can we can start viewing this day if it was like you know 12 tracks 15 yeah. tracks then you know that's that's not enough but i think once you once you're you know cresting that 50 mark like we think we can probably uh take some of this data yeah, she as did like, like you know, this is this is a cumulative average a, a good average i think she's done 68 tracks total but a few of those were for guns um right so there's only like 60 like eight of them maybe total were for guns i can't remember but is around 60 let's say there's 60 tracks for archery okay archery combined that combines crossbow and compound now gotcha. um real quick crossbow tracks all of them were for mechanical and really yes and uh, for crossbow tracks for compound tracks 53 percent were fixed broadheads and 47 mechanicals i think with the crossbows you know you can buy them they come with a kit and they come with the arrows and broadheads and everything i saw them at mm -hmm. i was in some sporting goods stores and, the, and that's where they were set up it's like oh it comes with arrows and broadheads and everything just one big kit yeah Huh. So, so man, so there must have been. I think that a was, decent a decent amount of crossbows that the did they they needed tracking on. Yeah, there was. Uh, let's see, fifty eight percent of our archery tracks were for compound, and forty two percent were for crossbows. So, if you're looking at sixty tracks okay. and all, so then you kind of get a, an idea. Yeah, of about 20, 20, 25 of them or so yeah. were for crossbows. Yeah. Wow, and a hundred a hundred percent of the crossbows. Nah, I think that was just a, I think that was just a fluke because I did ask on social media because I that concerned me and I asked and and it it became something like a much higher or much more even split among crossbow. There was more crossbow hunters using mechanicals, but right. it wasn't zero a hundred percent. Sure. Oh yeah 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 I yeah. Think, but but for for your for tracking jobs, yeah. it was a, it was a it was a hundred percent mechanical, not a single fixed broadhead. And That's crazy. That, because, that I mean, me. typically, yeah. Well, I mean, because typically, your I mean, my dad shoots a I think an R ten Raven, uh, and I mean those things are hauling. I mean, four hundred feet per seconds, like the new average for a decent crossbow. And uh, you would think that this would create enough uh, energy to where they didn't have any issues, but apparently I, not. I don't know what the what would cause that. Maybe they just couldn't get a fix to fly straight because their crossbow wasn't so shooting, fast, wasn't shooting straight, and so they just went with a mechanical and and it would hit with yeah. the field tips. And anyway, that's that's a lot of speculation. But um, we recovered fifty percent of every track we went on. So we were at for the two seasons, we we're at fifty percent success rate. Um, the national average is 35%. Yeah, well above that average. And and the here's what causes a lot of the non-recoveries. We had a lot of trail cam pictures that came back later after an unsuccessful track of the deer still alive. You can't find a deer mm -hmm. that's not dead. So right. that affects yep. it. The other thing is some of these tracks were called because we'd hit a property line. We couldn't go get permission to go across it. 
So sure. those still those get marked down unsuccessful. If you eliminated the ones where other reasons kept us from finding the deer, like uh, property lines or whatever right. reason, um, her success rate was much much higher. We're we're talking seventy five percent success rate. I mean, this wow. She's she's a phenomenal tracking dog. Um, I had a, a, a fellow tracker. He's a veteran tracker. He told me he's like Shane. I've been watching your videos. He said you've got what we call a superstar dog, you know, and it may not be any result of me at all. It's just that dog in her genetics. Yep. And, Good genetics. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping it continues. I don't want to uh, jinx or knock on wood, but uh, hopefully we'll have another great season. So let me yeah. get back to the stats here. Um, fixed broadheads made up 31% of our tracks. Mechanicals made 69 recovery rates for fixed blades were 60% successful and mechanicals were 47% successful. So okay. mechanicals made up more of our tracks, but they had a lower success rate. Um, and that may not be due. Um, well, I guess it, it could be due to pass-throughs, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's that's my sneaking suspicion. All right. So uh, here's a, a little side note that's on there. Front deploying mechanicals had a 7% better recovery rate than rear deploying the mechanicals. But rear deploying heads had a 10% better pass-through rate than front deploying. So if you want to pass through, yeah, so those kind of contradict each other. I think I'd go with rear deploying because just because they had a, a, a 10% better pass-through rate. Right. Um, I'm, I can only imagine the front deploying, uh, even though it didn't pass through, did more damage in the process of the way the blades swing open or something. Yeah. So I, I talked to a, a guy who's a manufacturer of a broadhead that's a front opening deploy, uh, broadhead. And he actually talks about how, um, especially on like the first couple of inches, it won't cause nearly as much damage because the blade is still opening. Like yeah. he's, he says that it's actually better for energy retention because you aren't hitting that hide and then immediately having like a two inch blade open up. Yeah. You're getting inside the hide and then, uh, maybe even inside the bone, and then the blade starts to open up. Yeah, those those, uh, front, so. those front deployment heads, maybe even though they're not getting past those, they may penetrate deeper into the chest cavity. Also, right. so we don't we don't know, but and, and that may change as we track more. Um, the average, I'm gonna jump skip a little bit here. The average total distance from the shot location to the deer we recovered was 487 yards, and I think that's very important to people. Uh, tracking without a dog mm-hmm. kind of to know if you've tracked out 500 yards you're probably getting you're you're beyond the average yeah, yeah. so you're either getting close to your deer or you're not going to find it and, and not to say to give up once you hit 500 just just know that we average around 487 yards we find our deer by then um as far as uh water you know a lot of people say deer go to water when they're injured Mm-hmm. Out of mm-hmm. all the deer we tracked, only three deer w- were recovered when within 50 yards of water. I, I kind of hmm. I didn't just put side water; it had to be within 50 yards. Only one deer was recovered that we felt intentionally went to the water to drink. The other, hmm. the other two deer that we found near water, one was there was a swamp and it ran, you know, left or right quite a ways. Right. The deer hit that; it was a you know something that impeded its travel and it just laid down and stopped. Uh, the same. I can't think of the the other one. I think the other one was just in an area where there was lots of water to begin with, and so it right. had no choice but to die near water. Right. So there's 
so far i don't think there a deer actually go to water um hmm. uh, so the other the other i don't know if this not to throw you too off track i don't know if this is a wives tale or not it makes sense to me in my head but the other thing i've always heard is deer will try and run downhill instead of uphill when they're injured a deer run and i was going to get to that um basically deer when you shoot them they they run away from me and it's pretty much a fairly straight line if you can get a line of travel you know say go out track the deer 50 yards past your stand or you shot it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. start at that 50 yard mark and track it another 50 yards and then draw a straight line between those two marks your deer is probably going to be in a straight line in that direction Hmm. they may weave through the woods and hop on different trails but they typically go in one general direction until they lay down and die Hmm. Uh, if there's a hill in the way, they go straight up that hill. They don't care. Interesting. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I didn't find any any instances where deer were avoiding hills or purposely trying to go downhill. They just, you know, a deer just a deer running away from you after it's been shot is not like weak or or they got adrenaline going and they're they're just as strong as yeah. they are. Oh, yeah. Not been yep. shot, so they don't think about you know they're not. Oh, I'm weak. I'm hurt. I need to get down the hill. Uh, maybe one if you hit it in a leg and broke a leg, maybe that would. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Um, uh, 20, 26%. There, there we go. 26% of the deer we track were later confirmed still alive, uh, either via trail cam or visual confirmation, or they were harvested later in the season. So do you, do you still count those against your average, your recovery I, rate? Yes, I do. Cause technically that's, that's what they're, they tell us we should. So if I, if I excluded those, she would be much. Yeah. Much you'd higher. be at, you'd be at 75% yeah. right there. Yeah. The, but you know, some of them have been harvested later in the season. So we know, I know the dog to myself personally, I know she's doing much better than what the stats. Show. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I mean, you're like, like you said, you're still above that national average. So I think, uh, you might have a prodigy on your hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, there's some other stats that I don't know how important they are. I just, I try to take a little bit of everything. The average shot distance for all tracks was 25.9 yards. So about 26 yards was the average distance to, to, for the okay. shot. The average age for our tracks, uh, once we got on the scene were 13.4 hours old. Um, and that can either be because that's how, you know, I had to put it off because I was at another track or we purposely waited. So, um, right. That's that's more showing how the dog's performing there. That's not really sure. indicative of anything. Well, I, I think the 26 yards shot average shot is is fascinating to us as uh, as you know, as a bow hunting podcast, because you know, you would most of the time and granted traditional gear is kind of the outlier because that's you know, that's a, a decent shot with track gear. Uh, but for a compound, like if you ask an average guy like what do you, how do you feel about a 25 yard shot, 26 yard shot? They'll typically say it's a slam dunk. Yeah. Like I know that deer is dead when obviously that is not the case for the average bear. Interesting. Yep. And maybe if they're in closer, you, you, you make, you know, more mistakes. You're more nervous. Yeah. You're that tight. And plus uh, yep. the angle becomes more critical. You're mm-hmm. just shooting at mm-hmm. a target. You're shooting a dot. And now the deer's 25 yards. He's basically under you. If you're up high enough, Yep. Um, so it all becomes critical where you hit the deer. Fascinating. All right. Sorry. Continue. All right. So based on the, each hunter's report and analysis of recovered deer, 85% of all shots impacted the chest or abdominal cavity. So that one area. So, I mean, mm-hmm. and that I just, a lot of people was like, there, there's a 
automatically one excuse comes up. If people would learn to shoot better, you wouldn't need tracking dogs. You know, it's it's clearly not the, the fault of the hunter in a lot of instances. They're making good shots. They're hitting vitals. Mm-hmm. But one thing or another leads to needing a dog to come in. Number one, you know, some people just want us to make sure they recover the deer in a, in a timely fashion. Or they're not sure. They didn't see yeah. where the arrow hit. And then you find the deer and it was a perfect shot. Um, they're just being extra careful. There's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, a lot of people, they get this ego thing. It's like, whatever happened to the days of finding your own deer? If you don't find it, then tough. Just, you know, go out and hunt again. That ain't, that ain't the way you should be thinking. It's, it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not ethical to me. I mean, to, to me, anytime. It's not a competition. Uh, uh, it, 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 yeah, well, if somebody asked me, you know, uh, uh, the, the age old question, and I think that this is just how it is in, you know, uh, if you go on a guided hunt or, uh, if you go to Africa or something like that, like if you draw blood, like, I like it to me, I would always punch my tag. Like mm-hmm. that's like, that's like, you know, if, unless like, um, unless I know, like I see that deer on a trail camera, like the next day, but by then I probably would have punched my tag already. But, uh, yeah, because I mean, you're that if you shoot an animal, uh, if you, even if it doesn't if die think, immediately, you it, 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 wounded it. And yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people should punch their tags. Yeah, and, and maybe yep. not punch it, just set it to the side. And then if you get confirmation that it's still alive, then you can use that tag to put it down if it was injured. You know, maybe don't, right. don't actually yeah. punch it. Um, right. So back to the stats, I guess. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to include that because there is no a lot, of, a lot of the shots are not like in the neck and then the leg. Right. They're in the chest cavity you know not no i i i I think if you uh if you understood our audience you would you wouldn't even flinch at throwing out all these stats we are a very uh science and data driven uh um podcast and group of listeners so i I throw out anything we're we're gonna soak it up i'll throw this disclaimer in here i probably should have thrown it earlier these um these stats to the best of my knowledge are pretty accurate um I didn't double check them and triple check and all that stuff. I just kind of have a spreadsheet and I kind of went through all my two pages and, and put it right. together. I, so if you find some math and say that doesn't add up, um, somebody pointed that out early on when I posted and I was like, Oh, I forgot. I included like a couple gun hunts and I, so I had to remove them and uh, that's what gotcha, that gotcha. skewed. And I was like, okay, that was a mistake. So if you find a mistake, you know, feel free to point it out, but I think they're pretty accurate now. Um, 31% of the deer shot were tracked too soon by the hunter and subsequently the, the hunter bumped the deer. Mm. And uh, what I mean by too soon is, you know, um, you, know, you hit it in the liver, you hit it far back and you only gave it 30 minutes. And I see a lot of people on social media. They, they like, Oh, he's dead. Give it, go have a beer and then go back out there. You'll find him dead. I'm like, no, you need to wait, you know, eight hours or six hours, yep. give it till tomorrow morning. There's no sense in going yep. back out there. And, um, I'll, and I've, some of the people I've tracked for, I go out there and track it. They, they track too soon because they have other obligations. They, oh, I had yep. to work tomorrow morning. I have to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. Rain's yep. moving in. I wanted to find it before I lost the blood trail. Well, as long as it's not, you know, downpours for hours and hours on the end, the dog will find it. Even with the rain, the rain sometimes will actually help if it's a light rain will actually help invigorate the scent trail for the dog. And it really, yeah. So huh. I think, uh, I think that's the really reason Callie, her oldest track she recovered, it was over 24, 26 hours old is what it was. Mm-hmm. When we got on the scene, it just started drizzling rain. It started 
coating the leaves and grass with moisture and she was tracking like that deer was just shot she was pulling and barking and and we ended up going south the hunter was tracking the deer north and he lost bud right there that was the last spot he found bud and we was like this deer must have just stood here and then tried to figure out which way it went and callie mm-hmm. took me south and we stopped because we had a uh, property line and the guy said oh we we got permission i said okay i'll go take her back down there i just i dropped a pin anyway long story short she took us south and she started pulling she went to a little pond and she was sniffing i thought maybe this deer's in the water which the scent must have been coming off the deer and just settling on the pond because she mm-hmm. walked around the pond edge and she when she got around to the other side she went up the embankment and there laid the deer beside a tree and it was like huh. three or 400 yards south of where the hunter thought the deer went. He was tracking north. But she was in that little fresh rain or just light drizzle. This was 26-hour-old track. And she was – if you if you know Callie, when she's tracking an old age track, she's kind of methodical and slower. Mm-hmm. When it's a – like we jump a deer in the track and it's still alive, she's barking and, you know, bait and make that – That's, right, that's right. the way she was acting. I'm like, this. she smells it very yeah. easily now so i mean yeah actually a little bit of moisture uh-huh. will help invigorate the scent trail and that's too wild much. i never i never would have thought of that yeah and that's a lot of things i try to educate and other trackers do is they they want to go out there and start tracking because it's going to snow or it's going to rain right. a little bit of snow is not going to hurt you it's going to do the same effect it's going to kind of invigorate right. the scent trail it's gonna, and maybe hide it from you seeing you know, the blood or footprints but hmm good to know so anyway uh don't let your obligations uh like jobs or weather you know get in the way cut and last year this they this hunter bumped this deer three times because he had to work the next morning i'm like that's not gonna because you had to go to work it's not gonna kill the deer any quicker deer's not gonna die any sooner so right there's no sense in even tracking um call in sick or do something but don't don't rush the tracking job yeah uh, my my advice would be, uh, it used to be I, I read magazines, you know, give a deer at least a half hour, 20 to 30 minutes. I'm I'm of the mindset for the last, I don't know, 10 years or, or maybe not quite that long. I wait a minimum of one hour, no, how, no matter how good the shot is. I mean, yep. no, I take my time getting out of the tree. You know, if it's going to be dark when I get down, so be it, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've always, I, I've always kind of been the same way, unless I've seen it die in front of me oh yeah uh i've always uh either gone and like taken everything back to the house or the four-wheeler and then and then come back you know that's that's normally what i do Uh, walk back to the truck and put my bow away and you know it's probably stupid because but (laughs) you might want to need a bow but i don't like carrying a bow with me when i'm trying to track it's just an annoyance yeah yeah like just when you're on your hands and knees and you're trying to go through the brush and if the deer, if I see the deer still alive, then I just kind of ease out, but that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to get one more boring stat or it may not be boring. And then I'll move back to some more interesting ones. I think I skipped. Um, our tracking consisted of, uh, 80, 80.5% of our tracking requests were for bucks and 19.5% were for doe. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. And it seems, um, it seems to be, which doesn't surprise me, but um, it should be, I think, more bucks are shot than does. I mean, what's the ratio of bucks killed to does? It's probably somewhere along those lines, isn't it? Like probably, yeah, two two to 70? one, probably. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I'd, I'd have to look at the Missouri 60, numbers. 60, uh, but, but, uh, 65, 35, or yeah, 60, somewhere around 40. there. Yeah. So yeah. Um, obviously, early season, I get uh, about a 50 50 split or more does or antlerless deer. When you get mm-hmm. into October or November, it's almost strictly bucks. And I think that's what yeah. most people are just targeting. They're not shooting those or antlerless deer anymore. Um, but at least people are calling for the antlerless deer. Yeah, no, that's that's good. It means they're being humane about it and they're not just worried about the rack. Um, let's see, did I miss... Did I miss... Uh, fixed broad has made up 30% of the tracks. Uh... I think we might have covered all the all the critical stuff there. Any stats that I may have missed that it's on your paper in front of you? The uh the pass through percentage okay. we haven't touched on yet. Yeah. Let me get to Okay, there that was the top one there. That's what I wanted to get back to. Um <clears throat> we already said the fifty eight percent of archery tracks were compounds, forty two percent were for crossbows. Mm-hmm. Compounds had a recovery rate of 53% and crossbows had a recovery rate of 55%. So pretty even split there. Uh, yeah. 55% of our tracks were for pass-through shots and 45% were for non-pass-through shots. Pass-through shots had a re- recovery rate of 68% while non-pass-through shots had a recovery rate of only 29%. Hmm. That's a... a Almost 70, 30 there. Yeah, that's a quite a difference. I, and that yeah. my hopes go up when I get a call from hunters and I say, was it a pass-through? Yes. And I'm like, yes, that means right. I've got a much better chance to find it. Um, right. 79% of fixed broadheads were pass-throughs. Of, of The fixed broadheads we track for, seventy or basically 80% were pass-throughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, 44% of mechanical broadheads we track for were pass-throughs. Hmm. So you, and that include that includes all the crossbows. Yeah, that's crossbows, well. and yeah, the crossbows were 100% mechanicals, and um, I probably could look that up real quick and tell you how many were pass-throughs. Um, I don't recall. They it actually they did better in 2018 than they did in 2017. That's this. Yeah, I was gonna say the the 2017 numbers I had were uh, almost 82 pass through percentage was uh, almost 82 percent for fixed blades and 28 percent for yeah, mechanics. They they improved and that's that that's the number that like really caught my eye. Yeah. I was like, holy cow, that's a that's a crazy difference. Yeah, they gained they gained some ground uh, in 2018, and I can't remember when they legalized uh, crossbows for everyone in Wisconsin. Cause that's where I track. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may have resulted in a increase in crossbows, which maybe that did help with pass-throughs. I'd, I'd have to look at all. I wish I had these things laying out better for me, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's basically right now, just looking at two years worth of data. If I was looking at this as a new hunter, I'd say, okay, I want to shoot fixed blades. <laughs> and uh, you know, number one, because Obviously, we're getting pass-throughs, and the, and the recovery recovery rates are probably a little better because of that fact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't uh, – I reached out to you uh, quite a while ago, so I'm, I don't know how uh, uh, how much you've gotten to listen to. I know you've been real busy filming uh, for, for Turkey, uh, but, you know, more or less, we are proponents of fixed blades and building, you know, good uh, – um, good solid as heavy as you can uh arrow setups 
uh, where you're happy with the trajectory. Mm-hmm. And and because in, in my mind, there's actually there's a really good book uh, um, called uh, oh, I think it's it's Can't Lose Bow Hunting. It's by a guy named Jeremy Johnson. Okay. Uh, and he's who's actually a, he's an elk uh, elk guy. Uh, but, uh, he, uh, basically what he, the, the number one way to, to kill an animal is to put two holes in them that, that don't belong there. Uh, and, and a really big reason for one of this, especially on lungs is because your lungs are held to the chest cavity, uh, and it holds the same for, uh, for humans, uh, but on animals, um, that you hunt, uh, they're held to the. Uh, edge of the chest cavity with something called pleural fluid and when you and it's basically a hydrostatic lock so there's this fluid that locks the lung to the cavity Mm -hmm. and your diaphragm is what pushes your lungs in and out uh or i'm sorry pushes your chest in and out to like inflate and deflate your lungs so when you uh, uh put a hole uh all the way through on both sides it breaks this hydrostatic lock and then the lungs don't have anything to hang on to. And then they just sink and then they can't fill back up with air. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's uh, he, and he does a way better job than I do at explaining it. But uh, when I read that, like things just like clicked and I was like, Oh, like penetration is everything. Like I yeah. mean, sh- shot placement obviously is important, but like the, the evidence shows that if you, if you can put two holes in an animal, if you can get a pass through, you like your rate of success is going to skyrocket. And then I ran across your stats. I was like, Oh yeah, that that's exactly what this says. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so I was, I was like, Oh, I'm glad somebody else is, is confirming this for me because this is what I've been thinking for about a year now. Yep. And, and the, that's the one thing I was looking at and initially from 2017, it, it almost looked like basically don't shoot a mechanical head. And that was kind of the, right. and then after including 2018, it was, it was not really the head. It is part of, part reason is the head. You need a, a head that can, you know, hold up to busting through bone and, and all that. Right. Pass right. throughs are the critical issue and you have a better uh, odds of getting a pass through with something solid, like a fixed blade broadhead. Not mm-hmm. if they can yep. make a mechanical that, you know, works and opens stand up, up and stand yeah. up to, and not burn up so much energy trying to get through the animal. Right. Then the mechanicals will be fine, but until that happens and I see it consistently, I'm I myself stick to fixed blades. I've I've used mechanicals, and I've used several different manufacturers type uh, mm-hmm. brands, and I didn't have a pass through on any of these deer. I didn't lose any of them. Yeah, but had it not been for the fact that all of them but one fell within sight, you know, right. hundred yards, I was hunting like marshes, and and I could see where they disappeared and whatever, and found them. I didn't find much blood. Um, right. The problem was like one deer I shot and it had an entry wound up high, but it didn't get an exit. So mm-hmm. all the blood was just, it was full of blood when I cut them open. Yeah. The, yep. the other one left a, a decent blood trail and I was able to find it, but that was enough right there. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going back to fix. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, the issue that I, I normally see people run into uh, is, is, you know, they'll, they'll get lethal penetration uh, but then it'll it'll stick in the animal and all the pool, all the blood pulls up inside the chest cavity yeah. and they they have the only blood that they're seeing is what seeps like past, Flash, past the air out of maybe yeah. that high hole and you get lucky. Yeah. And... Yeah. So that's uh, um, uh, just put put it all the way through them, you know, with by any means necessary. 
Um, have you, I know you've, uh, uh, you've recorded some of the stats, but have you, have you ever broken any of this stuff up into, uh, draw length or draw weight or, or, uh, arrow weight or anything like that? No, not really. Um, I, I added a bunch of stats this past year in 2018 because I got a lot of questions after 2017 stats were published. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. what are, what, what are most of the hunters using for a draw weight or this and that? I'm like, that's something I didn't take or arrow weight. So this past year I started weighing, I took a digital scale with me. It's in my little tracking mm-hmm. test and I weighed every, um, arrow. You know, if they, it's like, you got to not necessarily the arrow you shot it with, just give me an arrow. That's the same that set up on your, right. and right. I would weigh them and, uh, and I'd get the draw weight and I was fairly consistent getting that information. I think I, I got it from everyone except for one, one hunter and, and I never got a response back from, I forgot to get it while I was there. I was like, well, just look it up for me. Um, Let's see if I can find some of this stuff here. Yeah, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot for it, but I have my curious. It's just sometimes it's uh, you know, I, and I even write down the the organs that were affected on each track, mm-hmm. um, like heart and lungs, mm-hmm. um, heart and one lung, or or liver and stomach, or, and then how far they went, and and I could probably dig deeper into uh, if there's a correlation or not, but like I have the average arrow weight is um the average weight of the arrows the average arrow weight is 432 grains out of all the arrow the tracks i did 432 sounds about an average an average white tail yeah. hunting yeah. weight some of them i'd see 500 grains some would be 340 or 350 or something like that so but just looking at it right here it's in the low to mid 400s consistently 420 410 430 450 440 400 430 420 you know that's kind of the the general so 432 would be about right for most of them huh. the, for the pat for pass throughs and this this stat really doesn't show anything for pass throughs the average error weight was 423.93 and the average weight of a non pass through was 422.5 so less than a almost identical or, yeah, basically a grain different or one grain yeah. difference. Um, huh. Draw weight, the average draw weight was sixty three point three eight pounds. Um, I I think that excludes crossbows. I think that's yeah, yeah, that's kind I, of the outlier. I, yeah, because those are just kind of ridiculous weights, like three hundred sixty pounds or whatever. So. Um, Let's see. Uh, oh, I have separate stats for that. So the uh, for fixed hunter shooting fixed blades, the average draw weight was sixty three point three eight, and the average hunter shooting mechanicals, which draw weight was sixty five pounds. So not far apart there either. Yeah, um, well, I, I think it might it might be worth noting that uh, mechanicals were still it was still a higher uh, 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 tracking total, and the uh, and what they were shooting heavier draw light or heavier mm-hmm. draw they're weight. Sh- yeah. They're still getting less pass throughs yep. with a heavier uh, draw weight. Um, let's see if what other stats I got here. You know, I, I kept track of <clears throat> the main reason I was called to track. Um, you know, it, it covers the gamut, uh, deer being bumped. And so they backed out and called, um, the way the way the blood looked was a, a lot of reasons like they were finding they found gut matter in it so they knew that mm-hmm. probably if you shot um but overall most of the times it was a, a it seemed to be they either lost the blood trail 
or something with the blood trail indicated they needed a, you know, it went too far or there was something in it. Um, and then a lot of them were just, I put down a shot placement was the main reason that, that the dog needed to come out just because, um, I can't recall why I put shot placement. Obviously shot placements is key to a lot of them, but sometimes shot placement, that's all opinion based. A lot of times it could be, you know, you could shoot a deer in a bad shot and, and it not go anywhere. <laughs> um, depending yeah. on what you hit in there. Um, so well, or or the opposite. You make a great double lung shot and yeah. it goes a mile and a half. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the only times I put shot placement is the reason to always if like it was extremely bad shot, like it hit the neck or it hit a hit a leg and yeah. not not in the chest cavity. Chest ca- cavity to me should be a lethal shot all the time. Um, you you yeah. think the deer surprise you. But in most case, cases, if you get a hole into the chest cavity, the deer will eventually die. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of been my uh, uh, thing with these uh, deer tracking, what I've seen. Huh. Um, let's see if I can quickly see something here. It's correlation to the seems liver shot seems to be one of my highest tracking the jobs for, and that just indicates hunters are hitting back Shoot. farther. Yeah, too far back. Yeah. I think they're just aiming center of the body, or I think they their mind takes over even though they know where to hit mm-hmm. it just yep. kind of leads that way but yep they're shooting middle of the middle just putting it putting it center mass on yep. the brown and letting yep. it rip yep anyway i think that's about all i see for um uh, let me see success uh total lit recovery average Total length, I think this average is for successful. Okay, I have it broke down for successful recoveries. The average was 440. I don't know what I had on the other that I gave you earlier, but I have. Oh, this was just for 2018. 440 yards. Oh, gotcha. Um, I do have it for mechanicals and fixed. The average recovery for mechanicals was 514 yards, and the average recovery distance for a fix was 435 yards. So only closer uh, yeah. about ninety yards difference there, or whatever it is, shorter for fix. Huh. So so even uh, I, I'm uh, sorry. Go ahead. So even though the mechanicals, you you had a much lower success uh, pass through rate, and then you had a lower success rate of recovery, and then when you did recover, and they went much farther than or, you know, I was gonna I was gonna say like in in, in you know they're. I'm I'm certainly not saying every fixed blade is perfect, or uh, um, you know there there is a uh, there are some magic beans to 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 figure everything out to where you don't have to call a tracker. Uh, but I'm I, I'm listening to all these stats and I'm looking at the data that I have here in front of me. Trends are showing. And I, yeah, well, and I'm not I'm not seeing anything yet. Uh, and this is from just from a strictly like data driven perspective, I'm not seeing anything that tips in the favor of mechanics yeah. at all. And that's what I've been trying to tell a lot of people. I am neutral on this. If mechanicals were opposite in these stats, I'd go shoot a yep. mechanical. Yep. Um, and, and, and you know, I, I honestly think I would too. And, and some guys are called BS on, on that for, for our podcast, but we've, we've had pretty at length discussions, uh, 
uh, within our own like little group chat that we have going on throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And and at the at the end of the day, like our whole goal with this podcast is to get good information out to people. And and I we've just been under the impression that fixed blades work better. And and if for if somehow or some way somebody creates, uh, uh, you know, a good mechanical that can hold up to to bone hits and stuff like that, then we'll promote the hell out of it. I have no problem with that if it's a if it's a solid, good broadhead. Uh, but until, until then, I just I don't it hasn't been done yet. So I can't I can't I can't recommend at the at the end of the day, though, the whole purpose of a mechanical is for what flight, right? I mean, so you you get straight air flight. I think as long as you're getting if your bow's tuned and you're getting straight air flight with a fix, there's no need to go. I mean, you got to get past the 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 hype of these two, two and a half inch cutting diameters. Cause you know what? You're not going to get through the deer to even make that two and a half inch cut worthwhile. And my buddy, I told you about early on in the podcast where he hit the deer high in the shoulder. And, um, and that was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back of me getting a tracking dog. When we right. got into the stand that afternoon, I said, what broadhead are you using? He showed me the mechanical on the tip of zero. I said, whatever you do, do not hit the shoulder. And that's yep. exactly where he hit, and we he got limited penetration. And of course, not all fixed are going to go through a shoulder, but I busted through enough shoulders with a fixed broadhead to know that uh, they do yep. it often enough. So if you do accidentally hit too far forward, you you got a much better chance of getting in there. Yep, got some insurance there for yep. sure. Well, uh, man, uh, I thank you as as from somebody that's. Uh, you know, that's data driven. I, I work in the data science industry. So, uh, somebody who is a David, a, a data driven individual, uh, thank you for satisfying my OCD <laughs> and keeping track of stuff like this. Um, is there, is there anything else, uh, uh, any, any other pertinent information that as a, uh, uh, as a tracker or, uh, as, as just as a bow hunter, you, you want to get out to anyone else? Uh, I don't know. Just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's so much stuff out there. <laughs> I, I, my mind is actually, I'm, I'm just going to sp- spin in circles right now. Cause I know as soon as this ends, I'm gonna go, Oh, I should have mentioned this. And <laughs> well, that's okay. Well, well, anything, uh, that, that I may have, that we may have forgotten, I'll include in the show notes. Uh, so, uh, and all, so in the show notes, uh, we're going to link, uh, all of your stuff. So if anyone's, uh, wanting to check out your YouTube page, uh, check out our show notes. Um, I'll, I'll link the post to where you have all this data uh, on your Facebook page. Uh, uh, do you get, do you have an Instagram? I know you've got Facebook. Yeah, Instagram is calling all Turks. Um, it's okay. calling all turkeys if you can look for it, but I think they only limited it to enough letters where it's calling all Turks. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> the, like the young uh, so, Turks or something. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> no, call oh, it, just call no. it all Turks. For turkey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't if you, uh, don't go watch the Young Turks in case <laughs> you're with Mira. I don't think or... I've ever seen an episode of it, but I know oh, I know yeah. who they are. Yeah, you aren't missing anything. No. Um, uh, <laughs> I've I've my degree is in political science, so I, I'm I'm a bit of a political nerd, and they're they're a bunch of jack wagons yeah, over there. I try to steer um, away from politics. I mean, <laughs> publicly, you know, it's just it's not a good thing. Sure. Oh no, I, I, I believe you. I, I, I get it. Uh, the only politics we try and wade in on is trying to understand the, uh, hunting and politics mm-hmm. and public oh, yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. So, 
that's uh that's about all I think, all we'll get into on on this. Yeah, I think most the the world would be much better if people just kept their pol- political views personal. You know, vote how you feel. Um, yep. I yep. wish I wish people would vote more like I feel, but <laughs> I, I think we'd be better off. But anyway, uh, it life's a lot more enjoyable when you're not cramming politics down people's throat all the time. Hey, I I don't I don't disagree. Um, well, Shane, I really appreciate you joining me tonight and and dishing out all your knowledge. Uh, see, I told you, hour almost an hour and forty five minutes. This uh, it's about the average for us. We we get on a roll and then start talking numbers and then uh, now another hour goes by and then there you are. So, uh, uh, once again, th- thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I get, you know, like I mentioned, I reached out to you a while back and I've, uh, you were actually like one of the, on the like top 10 list when, oh. when we started this podcast, uh, I had, we, I, you know, I told our other, our other two hosts, I said, write down 10, 10 guys that you want to have on an interview and you were on my top 10 list because I was like, this dude is keeping good information. I want to get him on and get his perspective on it. So yeah, no, uh, I, I've been, I've been itching to have you on, but it's been, you know, you've been you busy man uh, filming <laughs> all your, your, your turkey slaying. Yeah. So everyone, uh, everyone I'm, wants I'm, to hear about deer track. And I, you know, obviously deer hunting is one of the more popular uh, pastimes uh, for the hunter in, in this country. And, you know, I don't get a whole lot of calls for podcasts for, turkey but i was getting you know i just did one earlier this week for deer tracking with a dog and Mm -hmm. it it seems to be very popular it's it's caught on you know a lot of especially with youtube and these action cameras it's so easy to capture that stuff now and a lot of people are are very interested in seeing it and and i will say this real quick uh one of the things that kind of helped inspire me to get into tracking was you know on social media you would see Oh, I shot a deer, you know, da da da, and, and need help tracking it. And you, you, you mm-hmm. out. people are like, oh, okay, I'll be over there, and I'll be over there, and, they, and then you're waiting anxiously for uh, a report back, you know, hour or two hours later. And most of the time, they came back and they didn't find the deer, and you were so like, I mean, I was living through that. And now we can go out and with a dog, and I'll, I'll see someone post, and I'm like, okay, we've got a much better chance now helping this person find that deer and, and i'm glad to see a lot more trackers out there i it's i didn't realize how popular it was until i got into it but um definitely if you go hunting this fall and you shoot a deer if you've got any question at all about the shot you know take some time take your time maybe call a tracker and, and get some input from him they're free to talk to they won't you know they won't charge anything just to ask some questions but anyway yeah yeah well, uh, I hope you'll uh, come back on. I know uh, we we started, we kicked off in January, and then uh, by the time we really got rolling, it was turkey season, and it was too late to talk about turkeys because yeah. everyone was already hunting. Uh, so, uh, so next, uh, I hope uh, we'll, I'd love to have you on again uh, to recap uh, your your 2019 findings, and then uh, uh, talk some more turkey with you. And I don't care if it's just me and you again because. We can talk turkey all night if you want yeah, to. Hit, uh, hit me yeah, up this yeah. fall after we got into some tracking for a little bit because I have a little more free time during tracking season than I do during turkey. During turkey, it's uh, it's nonstop hunting, uh, editing, sleep, a little bit of sleep, not much. And then I, I still work <laughs> a full-time job. I get my uh, all my hours in three days, and then I'm off four days. So it's uh, people think people go. think I do turkey hunting for a living, but I don't. I, I actually work a full-time job 
and compress it all to, into three days in order to get the other days off and yeah, very sleep yeah. deprived. So that's why I didn't talk to you during <laughs> turkey season. I, if I was had a chance for free time, I was going to be napping. No, hey, I don't. I don't blame <laughs> you at all. I don't blame you at all. Not, not. Uh, I'd if I could take a month off just turkey hunt, I would too. But, but I mean, putting uh putting forty hours in three days and then turkey hunting the rest of the week that's uh that's a real dedication. Yeah. But so. like I said, if you want to touch base with me sometime this fall, we can see where we stand, and then again after uh, season is ended, we can get some final stats and see if things change. Yeah, absolutely. Well, once again, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, uh, we'll get we'll get all your social media stuff linked in the show notes, and uh, I would highly encourage people to check out uh, check out your stuff. I watched a bit of the turkey hunting stuff, and it's it's great footage too. So, uh, if you're a turkey turkey hunter, or if you're just interested in uh, uh, watching how these uh, these guys track deer, then uh, I think this is a, a good channel uh, a good channel for you to watch, and it's a good social media for you to turn tune into. So. Um, Thanks again to all the listeners, and until next time, stay lethal, and don't forget the olive oil.